You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Sure, good to see everybody today. Wasn't that some great worship today? That was so good. You guys were singing so great. So good to see you. Welcome to Bayshore today, and I want to welcome, first of all, our Fenwick Island campus. We have an incredible campus right now. They're joining us live right now with us, and I want to say hello to Doug and Pat Potter. I got to see them this week and run into them, and uh, uh, just uh, Josh and Amanda Amanda Kenny and all you guys that are there. We just love our campus at Fenwick Island, and they're doing such a great job. So, so glad that we're together this morning, and we are actually in a series called Crazy Church People. And it's about the book of 1 Corinthians. So this summer, what we're going to be doing is sort of settling in and just going through the Bible and, and studying a little bit, looking at the book of 1 Corinthians. So uh, we've been talking about what this book is about. It's basically, we call it crazy church people because the church had all of these problems. There was strife and jealousy and, and they had all these uh, problems in their, in their moral life and they had all of these issues. So that is what, uh, what the book is about. But today, I want to focus in on uh, chapter one, the end of chapter one, I want to look at some real important verses, and uh, there's some pretty interesting verses here. First, uh, Corinthians chapter one, verse 18, particularly, it says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I want to read that again. For the message of the cross is foolishness, to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So Paul, in this part of the, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, is talking about the different responses to the preaching of the cross. And what we know from just him referencing that is that Paul preached on the cross. He preached about the cross, that Jesus died on the cross. That was the center of his message. And he says that there were two reactions to that. And he says people that are uh, perishing, people that don't know Christ, people without the Holy Spirit, thinks it's foolish, the preaching of the cross. They think it's ridiculous. In fact, the word foolish is the word maros, which we get the word moron from. And they are people that do not know Christ and don't have the Holy Spirit in them, they think when they hear the gospel and about Jesus dying on a cross and him giving his life up for the sins of the world, they think it's foolishness or they think it's stupid. They think it's stupid. I had a young man that came to me, an atheist young man that his parents brought to me, wanted me to talk to him about his faith crisis. And we talked about, uh, you know, different things. And it was just a wonderful conversation. He was raised in a Christian home, but he had never, you know, you can be raised in a Christian home and never really have the Holy Spirit in you and not really know Christ. And so he was in that category, raised around the things of God, but really did not know the Lord. And he could not see what the cross was about. The cross made no sense to him. He said, it just seems bizarre to me that God would send his son to die on a cross. And so Paul affirms that. He affirms that that's the position that people that don't know Christ, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them. And it just seems crazy to them that Jesus would die on a cross. There's a Jewish man in my men's group that uh, this week we were having our men's group 
and uh, he has come to faith in Christ. He a, was a Jewish man, uh, not real orthodox, but he was a Jewish, Jewish background. He said, I just could not believe that Jesus could be raised from the dead. He seemed bizarre to me. And the Holy Spirit has come into this guy's life, and he loves Jesus now. He just talks about Jesus all the time, and he's met the Lord. And that's what the Holy Spirit can do in a person's life. But when you think about the cross, Jesus dying on a cross, uh, if a person does not know Christ, it seems absurd. It seems foolish. Now, the very first depiction uh, that we have in history of Jesus being crucified on the cross was found in the city of Rome uh, along close to the Palatine Hill. And it's called, uh, it, it's, it's, it's the very first uh, picture that we have of Christ ever on a cross. And it's, a, it's a, actually a piece of graffiti that makes fun of the cross. And, and you can see this. Now, I don't know if you can see it real carefully. This was found about 200 A.D. This, you know, we think of all the pictures of Christian art that we have. Uh, Jesus on the cross and all that. You've seen hundreds of them in your lifetime. But this was the first one, the very first one that was ever found. It was found in Rome, Palatine Hill, and it shows a donkey being crucified on a cross. And there's an inscription underneath in Latin, and it says, Aleximenos uh, worships his God. Aleximenos worships his God. So the first picture we have the cross is the picture of a donkey on a cross, and it's a, it's a spoof, and it's making fun of Christians that how could a Christian worship their God that was on a cross? So when you think about the preaching of the cross, the preaching of the cross is foolishness. It's foolishness. Now you think about foolish, it's foolish uh, to those that are perishing. Now in this uh, verse, verse 18, 1 Corinthians 1, Two categories of people are listed. People that are perishing and people that are being saved. Now, when Paul thinks about the human race, thinks about people, he puts them in two categories. He puts them in one category, people that, people that are perishing, and then he puts the other category, people that are being saved. You know, we have all these categories for people. We have gender, we have race, we have education, non-educated, blue collar, white collar. We have all of these categories we put people in. When what Paul talked about people, he put them in two categories. you either perishing, on your way to perishing, or you're being saved. And that's how he, he looked at it. Now, now, here's what's interesting about that whole idea of uh, those who are perishing. The uh, New Living Standard, New Living Translation does a really good job with that. It says this, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. To those that are headed for destruction. Think about this. A person that does not know the Lord is headed, and that's what the Greek affirms, it's a progressiveness, you're headed toward destruction. You're headed toward destruction. If you don't know Christ today, and if you're, you haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to come in your life, and you haven't embraced the cross, and you haven't said, I accept Jesus as my Lord and my Savior, then what Paul says is that you are headed for destruction. You are headed to, toward being a person that's perishing. For the preaching of the cross is foolish to those that are perishing or those that are headed to uh, perishing. So the word perish there is the word to be utterly destroyed to be utterly destroyed now when i think about you know our modern church i think about how we think about life and how we think about god we have this sort of a rose color view of what this is like and we look at it this way that god loves everybody 
And because God loves everybody, everybody's going to be okay. Now, that is absolutely heresy. That is not true. That is not biblical. That is a, that's a very wishful way of thinking about the human race. That's called Unitarianism, where uh, universalism, where anybody that, you know, God loves everybody, so he's going to wink at everybody, you're okay, I'm okay, everybody's okay. That is not true. Now, it says in, first, uh, it says in uh, John 3.16, the most famous verse of Scripture in the whole Bible is John 3.16. John 3.16 is... The most famous. How many know what John 3.16 says? Everybody knows what John 3.16 says. You go to a football game or you watch a baseball game, you got somebody in, in, you know, in the background holding up John 3.16, and everybody knows what that is. And when I, when I think about John 3.16, what we, ha- what we do here is I think we have a tendency, we have a tendency to see in that verse what we want to see and not see what is really there. And I want to look at it real quickly. You know the verse, but let's read it slowly so we get into that. Um, John 3.16 says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Now, the King James says the only begotten son. Uh, and that really means the unique son of God. I'm a son of God. If you know Jesus and you're a male, you're a son of God. If you're a woman, you're a daughter of God. The Bible says, as many received him, he gave gave them the right to become the children of God. So I'm a son of God, but there is only one begotten son, unique son of God. Jesus, the Greek means he's the unique son of God. There's nobody else like Jesus. He's lived eternally. He never had a beginning. He never will have an end. He is the unique son of God who lived in perfect holiness and purity before his father and with his father throughout all of eternity. So he's a unique, unique son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, or unique son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. That whoever believes in him shall not perish. There's our word. It says in uh, 1 Corinthians 1.19, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. Now it says here, uh, it says that, that, uh, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. Very same word, to come over to utter destruction, to be completely destroyed. Now, here's the thing about John 3.16. John 3.16 is a conditional verse. It's good news if you believe. Uh, it's bad news if you don't believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, everybody say whoever, That means you, me, whoever, doesn't matter what your race, doesn't matter what your income, doesn't matter what your education, whoever believes in him would not perish. Now, if you believe in the Lord, you're not going to perish. But what is the implication if you don't believe in the Lord? You're going to perish. You're going to come under other destruction. The gospel is not. And this is what my, all my millennial pastor friends I'm helping to encourage by. You know, the, the, the gospel is not God loves everybody, everybody's going to be okay. That's, that is like Amway or something else. That's something different. The gospel is you are lost and you're under the judgment of God and you're headed toward destruction. But God in his mercy sent his son and because you were under destruction... You're coming toward destruction, and you believed in Christ. And that means, it says, whoever, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him. Now, what does that mean, believes in him? It's not like, I believe there's a God. I believe in Jesus. It's not that. 
It's the word pastuo, and it means to completely rely upon, that you are, you've embraced Christ, you're leaning on him. You're saying, the only way I can be saved, the only way I can be redeemed, the only way I'll ever get to heaven, the only way my sins will ever be forgiven is I'm completely putting all my weight on Jesus and trusting him. That's what it means to believe. It doesn't mean that I believe there's a God. It doesn't mean I believe in Jesus. It doesn't mean, you know, mean uh, Jesus is just all right with me. It's not that. It's something bigger than that. It means to rely completely upon and trust in. Now, every once in a while, you know, Karen and I will, will fly somewhere, and as you do, you, we go to usually Philadelphia or BWI, or if we, you know, we got a little extra money, we fly out of Salisbury. And uh, you go to BWI, and you, you get your luggage out of the trunk of the car, out of the back of your SUV. You go to that little, uh, you know, bus waiting station, and you're there, and the, uh, you're waiting, and, you know, you wait for a while. You're clean-shaven when you get there, and you've got a beard by the time they get there. But, you, you know, they, they come eventually, and they open the door. And, and you, at that moment, have the capacity to pick up your luggage and get on that, uh, that bus and set down all of that luggage, and they will carry you to the terminal, the airport terminal. Now, you have to get on the bus. You have to put your luggage there. You have to lay all of your weight, put all of your weight on that bus in order for you to get to the terminal where you want to go. When you think about, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him, it's you get, you give to Jesus everything. You surrender to him. You put your whole weight on him. You make him Lord of your life. So, John 3.16 is conditional. It's a conditional verse. It means it does it. It's not good news for everybody. It's only good news for people that believe and put their trust in Jesus. Karen is uh, away with her sister this week, uh, uh, went to the beach, and they go once a year away. And so I'm a bachelor, and my brother-in-law, Vernon, he's a bachelor. And uh, my, my wife is just so wonderful. I, wear, I married way over my head. How many men? You just married way over your head. Just raise your hand. And even if you don't believe it, you better raise your hand right now. Just kind of, <laughs> you believe that. You married way over your head. So before she left, she, she went out and she bought all this food for me. And she, she got my meals all prepared. And, and she had a little list and she went through everything Yesterday, I was working on the computer. She said, don't work on the computer. Look at me right now. I'm going to tell you what I got you to eat this week. Now, it, she just did that because she loves me. I didn't say, woman, you better get me something to eat while you're gone. <laughs> I'd have a permanent vacation. I'd be in a graveyard somewhere. You know, I didn't, I didn't do that. It was just out of her love. And she prepared all this food, and she got something. She knows I like pasta. She got pasta dishes for me. She made homemade soup. Uh, she got... Uh, uh, baked potatoes, she got uh, brown rice, she got all these, and she just went through the list of everything that she prepared for me, and it's up to me, it's up to me to partake of what she has prepared for me. Now, I can this week eat Doritas all week long. I can decide this is Dorita week, but I can embrace what she's prepared for me. Salvation is like that. You embrace what God has prepared for you. Now, I've never seen anybody hold up in a football game John 3, 18. Everybody holds up John 3, 16. Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son 
And here's the conditional part, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. What happens if you don't believe? The opposite is true, that you will perish. And 1 Corinthians 1.19, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are on their way to perishing. Now, look at John 3.18. We'll put that on the screen. Now, nobody holds this verse up ever. John 3.18 says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already under God's judgment because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So right now, those of you that have believed in Jesus, accepted Jesus, made Jesus Lord of your life, you're not under condemnation. You maybe had a bad week, maybe you, you messed up. How many maybe messed up a little bit this week? You're on Route 1 and somebody pulled in front of you and, and you may not said it, but you thought something you shouldn't have thought. You know what I mean? Maybe you even said it, you know? But how many know you're not condemned even though you're not perfect. Let me just get a vote right now. How many people at Bayshore, Fenwick Island, and also here, how many here at Bayshore, you are not perfect every week that you live? Just raise your hand. Wave it real wide. There we go. Look around. These are your people. They're just like you are. But because you believe in Jesus, you're not condemned. But here's what it says in 1 John 3, 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the God's one and only Son. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So that's the gospel. That's what the gospel is. The gospel says if I believe, if I, if I trust in, if I put my weight on, if I rely completely on, Jesus, I am not under judgment, and I'm not going to perish. But if I have not done that, doesn't matter how many good works I do, doesn't matter how many Girl Scout cookies I buy, it doesn't matter how much I do, doing good things is a wonderful thing, but our good works, it says in the book of Isaiah, is as filthy rags. It's insufficient because God is completely righteous and holy. Now, have you ever wondered what was going on in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying right before he went to the cross and he prayed this prayer, Matthew 26. Uh, he said, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. He prayed it three times. Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Now, have you ever wondered what is the cup? What is the cup? You know, sometimes we think the cup must be, the cup must be like, uh, uh, it must be this idea that, you know, Jesus was dreading the pain, he was dreading the cross, he was dreading the experience of the cross, and, and I'm sure that was a horrible thing to even contemplate. But the cup does not mean that. The cup does not mean that. He's struggling with drinking a cup that's full. And what is Jesus struggling with? To drink, He says, take this cup from me. I don't want to drink of the cup. Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Now, this is one of those occasions. Sometimes we guess what certain things mean in the Bible, but this is not one of those occasions because the cup is a concept in the Old Testament, New Testament. It means something particular. Here's what it means. Uh, Old Testament gives us the definition of what the cup is. And let me read you a couple, uh, couple of verses here. 
First of all, let's go to Jeremiah. You, don't, you, you can watch it on the screen. Jeremiah 25, 15 through 16. Let's look at what is the cup. What is the cup? It says this in Jeremiah 25, 15 through 16. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup. God's talking to Jeremiah about the other nations that judged Israel. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. When they drink it, they will stagger and go mad because of the sword I will send among them. So take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath. So the cup in the Old Testament, according to Jeremiah, is the wrath the, the passionate dissatisfaction of God toward our unrighteousness. It's the wrath and judgment of God. Jesus said, take this cup from me. If it's possible, take this cup from me. He was saying, I don't want to experience the wrath and the judgment of my Father on the cross. I don't want to do that. Well, let me give you another verse, just if you're not convinced yet. Isaiah, and there's a whole bunch of them, and I'm not going to read them all because we only got a little bit of time. Isaiah 51, 17 through 21. Awake, awake, rise up, O Jerusalem. It's, it's, Jerusalem is thinking about, Isaiah is saying, think about what happened to you. The Babylonians come, came and judged the nation of Israel, or the land of Judah, and the, the capital of Jerusalem. Think about that. Isaiah 51, 17 and 21. Awake, awake, rise, O Jerusalem. You who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. You have drained it to the dregs, the goblet that makes men stagger. And then verse 21, Then hear this, you afflicted one, made drunk but not with wine. This is what your sovereign Lord says, Your God who defends his people, see I have taken out of your hand the cup that made you stagger from that cup. And it gives the definition, the goblet of my wrath. You will never drink it again. Uh, Vine says the metaphor cup denotes the judgment of God. Now here's a, let me give you a, a New Testament couple New Testament verses about what the cup means. Say this with me. The cup means the judgment and wrath of God. Now, here's what the New Testament says, Revelation 14.10. He took, he too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of his holy angels and the Lamb which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath, Revelation 14.10. Revelation 16, two chapters later, the great city split into three parts and the city of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon, which is a, was a symbolic name of, the, uh, of Rome then, Babylon the great, and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Now the word, let's think about it this way. Wrath is the same as perishing, it's the same as being destroyed. So Jesus, when he was on the cross, he's struggling because he doesn't want to experience God's wrath. He says, Lord, if it's possible, Father, if it's possible. He's, he's kneeling in the Garden of Gethsemane. I've been in the Garden of Gethsemane. Some of you have that have been to Israel. And I prayed in that garden. And Jesus is in that garden, and he's praying. He says, Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me. The cup he's talking about is the judgment and the wrath of God and then Jesus submitted to the will of God. And when he was on the cross, he was drinking the judgment and the wrath of God so that, so that you would not drink of the cup of God's judgment. That's the gospel. 
The gospel is not, you're okay, I'm okay, God loves everybody, it's all cool with you, it's cool with me. The gospel is, we're in big trouble. We are deserving of God's judgment because we have offended a righteous God, a holy God. In fact, if we were, you know, without a new glorified body, ushered into the presence of God right now and saw his glory and saw his beauty and his purity, the Bible says that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. He is completely full of light. We have darkness in us. We have imperfections, but there is a holy, righteous God that loves you, that loves me, that provided a solution for our sins. And if we don't embrace that solution, Paul said that we are on our way to perishing. When I was a kid, um, 14 years old, 13, 14 years old, when my parents would leave, I used to, uh, you know, when they would go away, they had two cars. They would leave a big green and palace station wagon uh, that, that would be parked under the shade tree, the maple tree in the yard. And whenever they would leave, I would go get the keys and I would drive that car up and down the driveway. I mean, I'm having the big time. It had power steering, you know, the wheels like, it, it was a big car, you know, you know, weighs like a million tons, you know, these big things. How many remember cars like this? I mean, that, with that car, that was, the, that was the car right there. And I'm in there riding around, you know, back and forth in the driveway. And then I got thinking, my parents are gonna be home, I better park this car. And so I went to park it under the tree and I went to hit the brake. And when I went to hit the brake, I accidentally hit the accelerator and the car flew into the side of the house and busted the house up. So my little short 13-year-old life passed before my eyes. I knew I'm in big trouble. I'm going to get just clobbered. And I go in my bedroom. You know, I actually tried to fix the side of the car. It had those... Uh, uh, asbestos shingles. Does anybody remember asbestos shingles? They'll kill you. I mean, they're, they're, not, even, they're not even legal anymore, but had these asbestos shingles on it, and I'm trying to nail it and fix it up so maybe my dad wouldn't know that there's a big piece of the corner missing the house. <laughs> but I go in my bedroom, and, uh, and I'm waiting for my dad to come home, and I know judgment's going to come. I know I'm going to get it. I don't know how he's going to handle this, but I know it's not going to be a present and a trip to Disney. I know this is going to be something serious here but he finally comes home he walks in the door and he sees that i am just distraught with anxiety and he said i think you've suffered enough you know hey it happened and uh everything was good i mean that's great i mean like i couldn't believe it i heard heard the uh angels singing i mean it was amazing i was absolutely delivered of that but the problem was the 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 infraction had a cost involved the infraction had a cost involved. The, the house had to be fixed and the, and the repair had to be paid for and I didn't pay for it. My dad forgave me and he paid for the damage that I had done. When you think about Jesus on the cross, he paid for you to be forgiven of your sins. Say it with me. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us that are being saved, it is the power of God. So right now, you got the 
perishing and you got those that are being saved. And, you know, that's an interesting phrase in and of itself. Those that are being saved, you know, what does that mean? You know, you think about, are you, you're either saved or you're not saved. But the truth is that we are being saved. You know, there's actually three aspects to being saved. And the word saved there means to be delivered, protected. Uh, we're protected by God's grace because of what Jesus did on the cross. We're protected. Uh, those that are being saved, we are saved. That's when we were born again. Uh, we, that's when we, we, there's a word called regeneration. Everybody say regeneration. Regeneration means that God, when you put your faith in Jesus, you're not just like getting your name in the Lamb's Book of Life and you're forgiven. Something happens in you, and the Holy Spirit creates a new person in you that, that is beginning to walk more like Jesus. Number two, uh, we are being saved. That's sanctification. That means that, that, you know, although I am saved instantly, I have a new person inside of me and my sins are forgiven completely. I'm being saved from the bad stuff that I have habits in my life. I keep doing stuff I, I shouldn't do and I'm, I'm getting better and, and all that. How many know that whole thing about Romans 7? You know, the thing I don't want to do, I'm doing, and the thing I wish I'd do, I'm not doing, and, and the struggle to become more like Jesus. That's a process and that takes your whole life. Now, a great illustration between the difference between regeneration when you're saved instantly. Everybody say this with me. I am saved instantly when I put my faith in Jesus. Then you're being saved and that means that you're being changed. Now, a great illustration of that is Lazarus in the uh, book of John, John 11. Uh, John, uh, you know, Lazarus dies and he's been in the tomb for four days and, and Jesus comes to raise him from the dead. And, and Martha says, you know, Jesus says, take me to the tomb. And Martha says, you know, the King James says, by now he stinketh. He's, you know, it stinks. He's decomposing. And Jesus, you know, they roll the stone back. He, he raises Lazarus from the dead. He says, in the, uh, come forth, Lazarus. And Lazarus, who was dead, this is what Ephesians says, we were dead in our sins. Lazarus, who was dead, immediately is made alive. He's immediately made alive, but he still has the, uh, the grave garments wrapped around him, and he comes out. I don't know if he comes out, you know, like this. You know, I don't know how he got out, but he still had the grave garments around him, and Jesus said, take the grave garments away. So he was made alive instantly. Now, God could have, like, disintegrated the grave clothes and everything, but he made Lazarus alive, and he still has this stuff wrapped around him. How many still have some stuff wrapped around you? you still got habits, and you're still struggling? And they unwrapped him, and that was a process. So he was being delivered. So we're saved instantly. Then we are being saved. And finally, the last one is uh, uh, we, we will be saved. We will be saved, and that's glorification. So here's the thing about what Paul says later. We're almost out of time. What Paul says later uh, in this, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 1, 18, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. And I'm thankful I'm not perishing. I'm, not, I'm never going to perish. Uh, how many know Jesus and you know you're never going to perish? Just say a big amen right now. You know, just give thanks to the Lord that what he did on the cross for you. Just give the Lord a praise offering. Thank you, Lord. And if you have not put your faith in Jesus, I'm just going to shoot straight with you. I'm going to tell you, you know, you're in big trouble. You're in big trouble. You need to, you're on your way to destruction. And you put your faith, your trust, the belief for God's so love the world that he gave his only begun something. Whoever believes, you put your weight, your trust, you will be instantly saved, born again. And then God will begin that process of changing you into a different person. But here's what happens is Paul teaches this, and I don't have time to turn to all the scriptures, but this is what he says in the first part of 1 Corinthians. 
The man without the Spirit of God, he says, cannot understand the things of God. That's why the preaching of the cross is foolishness. If you think the cross is foolishness because, you know, the preaching of the cross is foolishness for those that do not have the Spirit of God. It says, Paul said in chapter 2, those without the Spirit of God cannot understand the things of God because they're foolishness to him. They're foolishness to him. And uh, they just don't make any sense because he didn't have the Spirit of God inside of, of him. And so that's an important, important aspect there. You've got to have the Holy Spirit to help you see what you cannot see. Here's what it says in John chapter 3. Nicodemus, the rich guy, uh, he was a kind of well-positioned guy probably in the Sanhedrin. He comes to Jesus at night and he said, you know, I'm, I'm like trying to figure out this. And Jesus said, except a man is born again... Except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Say it with me. Except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What does that mean? If he's not born again, he's never going to like look over the hill and see the, uh, see the, you know, the, the mansions in, in heaven. He's never going to see that. It doesn't mean that. Seeing has to do with perception. He can't understand it unless he's born again. Unless the Spirit has made him a new person's life, he can't understand. He can't see the kingdom of God. He can't perceive it. He can't understand it. God has to help us see the kingdom of God. And when the Holy Spirit comes in you, you begin to understand. You know, people, your neighbors, why in the world do you go to church every Sunday? Why in the world do you read your Bible? And for heaven's sakes, why in the world are you giving your tithes to the church, supporting the church with, the, with your money? You could buy new golf clubs with that. You could do all this and you're giving, and they don't, under, it doesn't make any sense to them because the man without the spirit of God cannot understand the things of God. It has to be shown to us. Last week I was preaching in Rehoboth and uh, had a great time at that campus. And this church, this campus, planted that church in Rehoboth. I, I just want to thank this Millsburg campus. They've had 100 people baptized uh, so far, actually over 100 people in Rehoboth because this church had a vision to put money and put vision to, to minister to that community. And I believe that church is going to change that community. Can you say a big amen right now? But I'm preaching down there. They have two services, 9 and, and 10, 30, I think it was. And I preached good. I thought I did good. I'm feeling good. I bet this is a good sermon. This is good. I mean, I may listen to this myself. I may go back and listen to it. This is so good. I thought it was really good. I enjoyed it. I had a good time. Preach the second service. You know, sometimes one goes good and the other one's like, you know, God just, you know, it doesn't go as good. But this, it both went good. I was having a great time. And I was ready to leave. I was ready to leave. I've been talking to everybody, hugging everybody and having a great time, visiting with those folks. And, and what I do after I preach on Sunday, every Sunday I go to Starbucks and I get a Vente Wet Cappuccino after I preach. It's my version of a beer after work. That's what I do. So I'm ready to go get my Vente Wet Cappuccino you know, celebrate the day. It's been a good day. Get that vente wet cappuccino and just enjoy it. And I went to, you know, I got all my stuff and I'm out there shaking hands and the last person left and I hugged him and blessed him in the name of the Lord and just they left. And, and then, uh, then I went to, to get, you know, out of there and, and I, my, my keys. I couldn't find my keys. My keys were gone. I couldn't find my keys. There's one guy there, a good friend of mine, Ellis. He was there. and We looked everywhere, and the worship leader, we looked for an hour trying to find those keys, almost an hour, maybe evangelistically speaking there, probably 40 minutes or so. Look and couldn't find them. And, 
and couldn't find him. I had to call Karen to come get me. And I didn't get my Vente wet cappuccino after, after work and all that, but anyhow. So I didn't know where the keys were. I had no idea where the keys were until Monday morning a lady called. She said, I got your keys. I had no idea who had the keys. I don't know where they were. This lady said, you have a black hoodie. I had a black hoodie. You grab my black hoodie, put your keys in it, move to the other side. And I went home with my black hoodie and my black hoodie had your keys in it. And so for you know, 72 hours, those keys were missing. And the, and the thing was, I, could ne- I would have never known where those keys were until somebody revealed to me where those keys were. And in order to get the kingdom of heaven, in order to get to heaven, God has to reveal to you the key of how to get to heaven. The key how to get to heaven is not trying to be good. It's not trying to do this or that. It's, it's kneeling at the cross. It's humbling yourself at the simplicity of the cross. Paul's dealing with Greeks that are, they've studied Plato, Aristotle, all these Corinthians, they are, are, are steeped in Homer. They're intelligent and it's foolishness to them. It's simple. It doesn't make any sense that a person would die on a cross for your sins. The Holy Spirit has to show you that, has to make that real to you. Without the Spirit of God, a man cannot comprehend the things of God. And right now, the Holy Spirit's moving. At this moment, this is a moment when the Spirit of God is moving right now where he's opening some people's eyes to see that you've got to believe or you're going to perish. Tomorrow, I'm doing a funeral for a guy named Louis Bowden. Louis doesn't come to Bayshore, per se. About uh, two and a half years ago, his wife died. And Louis uh, didn't know who to call, but I went to high school with his son. And so he asked his son who can do mom's funeral. And his son said, well, we had this crazy preacher guy in school and Danny Tyson, he knew me. And so he called me and said, will you do my mom's funeral? I said, absolutely. So they came over to the house and the way to do a funeral, you know, is not just like give a message. You just get the people together. I get the family together. We sit around a table. We talk about their loved one, we learn about them, we laugh, we cry, and that gets me prepared to do the service, especially if I don't know the person. So uh, Louie with his son and his daughters came over and we sat around the table for about two hours just talked about his wife. I preached the message, I did the eulogy at the funeral two and a half years ago, I did the eulogy, and as I did the eulogy, after the eulogy, I preached the gospel. I talked about Jesus. I wasn't like hellfire and brimstone. People are grieving. I'm not going to beat him over the head that time. I mean, I was just sharing Jesus with him. And when I got the call last Saturday that, that Louis had died, his son came over to see me this week, and he said, first thing I want you to know is that when you preached at my mom's funeral, my dad accepted Jesus. And he's been following you online, listening to everything you preach online. He enjoyed, he enjoyed a Bible study online. And this man who was in his 80s then, in that funeral, the Holy Spirit opened his eyes and he put his faith in Jesus. And he said, my friend who uh, his dad died, Ray is his name. Ray said the last thing my dad said before he died. The last thing my dad said before he died was not that I want, I can't wait to see mom. He said, I can't wait to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. You know, God, doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter how set in your ways you are, 
doesn't matter how jaded and how callous you are from hearing preachers on TV and scandals and all the stuff that's jaded your heart against the gospel. Doesn't matter how hard your heart is. If you open your heart and you let the Holy Spirit come in, all this stuff will make sense to you because the Holy Spirit will open your eyes. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see, cannot comprehend the kingdom of God. You can come to Bayshore, you can come to Bayshore and you can come here and you can literally sit and never really receive the gospel. You can love the music, you can love the teaching because much of my teaching is practical. You can listen to that and never ever receive the gospel. If you're here this morning and you haven't put your full faith in Jesus, preaching of the cross is foolishness to those that are headed toward destruction. But it's the power of God for us that are being saved. Would you lift your hands right now with me? Those of you that know Christ, just lift your hand up and hands up and say, Lord, I thank you that you have been so merciful to me. You've opened my heart. You've opened my mind. You've opened my, my eyes to see the gospel. I couldn't have got it on my own. I wouldn't have believed it. I wouldn't have accepted it if you hadn't been so good and kind to me to open my eyes. We thank you, Lord, that you're, you're saving people. You have saved people. Right now, you're saving some people that need to be saved, that don't know him, don't know Christ. And, and if you want to receive the Lord right now with your hands lifted up, I'm not going to make you come forward. I'm not going to point you out. I just want you to raise your hands. And I want you to say, with the whole congregation, we're going to pray this prayer. Just pray it with me. Let's all pray this to help those that are receiving Jesus right now. Let's pray it this way. Lord Jesus, I believe in you completely, exclusively for my salvation. I've sinned against you. I deserve to perish. I deserve your judgment because I cannot even comprehend how holy and how righteous you are. But Jesus drank the cup, drank it completely, took every drop of my judgment, every drop of condemnation, every drop of wrath, every drop of displeasure. You came in your mercy. Jesus, you took everything in the cup for me and I don't have to drink one drop of God's judgment, not one drop, not one condemnation, not one judgment because I have been saved by Jesus and because I've been saved by Jesus, I will rejoice through all eternity because of how powerful you are, Lord. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you for changing me. And just say this with me, Lord God, from this day forward, I commit myself with the help of the Holy Spirit to be being saved to be being changed a little bit every day, a little bit every month, a little bit every year until you come, Lord, and I will be perfect and looking like you. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. 
You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.